Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, last week, we looked at the last few verses of chapter 4, where we discovered that Jesus is our great high priest, if you remember that. That because we have a high priest who's passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in every point tempted like as we are yet without sin. And because of that, we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the, 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 we looked at the parallel where the high priest in the Old Testament would come into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. You remember that? And then Jesus, our great high priest, enters into the holiest of all with his own blood and, and sprinkles that on, on and propitiates. That's the fancy word we learn, propitiation, and, uh, and, and is accomplishes, accomplishes salvation for all mankind. And, and now we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And we saw that parallel between the mercy seat and the throne of grace. And in chapter 5, he's going to continue this theme of Jesus being our great high priest. As we look at how Jesus is greater than anything, we see him as the greatest priest, much, much greater than the human priesthood that we read about in the Old Testament. And really, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 that we're going to look at is going to make an argument. He's going to try to prove to us that we can come boldly to Christ. If you look in, in um, Hebrews 4, the last verse of Hebrews 4, there's that statement, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then what's the first word of chapter 5? Four. Four. Okay, connecting word, right? That means what we're about to read in chapter 5 flows out of that statement in the end of chapter 4. It says, come boldly, for, and that means because... Because something is true. And he's going to give, make a case for why we should come boldly. Today we're going to be, look, be looking at Jesus, the high priest who cares for us. When we see that statement, come boldly to the throne of grace, we're asking this question. Give me one good reason why I, in my weakness, should run confidently and desperately to Jesus. In fact, today I want to give you three good reasons from this passage, okay? Do you think of Jesus as someone who is currently, right now, at work in your life? That he's a real person that you can have fellowship with, that you can, that you can pray to, that, that he is at work currently. He didn't just die for you on the cross, but he is currently working as your high priest do you have that relationship with Christ? Do you, do you run to Him when you're weak, when you're, when you're desperate, when you're, when, you're, when you're discouraged by sin? How fast are you to run to Jesus? Or when you are weak or you're, 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 you're tripped up in sin, are you hesitant? Are you like, man, maybe I need to clean up my act before I come to Jesus. Maybe I need to figure things out before I come to Him. And the next verses in chapter 5, the first 10 verses, are going to make us a, a, a sound argument to prove to you that when you're weak or you're, 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 you're discouraged by sin, that your first action should be running confidently and desperately to Jesus. And what he's going to do, how he's going to do this is he's going to compare the priesthood, the Old Testament priesthood, with Jesus, our great high priest. And this is how he does it. In verses uh, 1 through 4, he talks about the Old Testament priesthood. 
And then in verses 5 through 10, he talks about Jesus. And what he's going to do is he's going to highlight the sacrifice of the high priest, the, how, how the high priest is sympathetic, and how the high priest is selected. And, and he's going to kind of go like this. He's going to go, um, let me see. So he's going to go sacrifice. Uh, he's going to go sympathy and selection. He's going to start off talking about um, the old priesthood. All right. That's, you know, Old Testament high priest Aaron and his sons, the Levitical priesthood. He goes one, two, three, and then he points to Jesus and he goes like this. He goes three, two, one. Selection, sympathy, sacrifice. It's a structure that writers would do a lot in the Bible. And and so it's kind of like this funnel. It kind of goes like this, right? And so we're going to see this parallel between the two. And so at each point we look at, we're going to kind of jump from Old Testament priesthood to Jesus Christ, and we're going to see how can I know for sure that I can confidently draw near to Jesus? Give me one good reason. Well, we're going to talk about three. The first one is because of his calling. We want to look at the calling of the high priest. How was a high priest appointed? And then the question we want to flow out of this is what, what difference does that make for me in my life right now as a teenager? What difference does it make knowing how Jesus Christ was made high priest? Okay, we're going we're gonna to answer that question. So the readers in Hebrews knew what a high priest was and what he did. But to make this point clear, he reviews what makes a high priest a high priest. Um, like he does in every other point in this passage, he compares human priests to the great high priest. So before we get into this first point, let's go ahead and read these first 10 verses together. Okay. Verse 1, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God in order to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest. But was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We're going to see, first of all, his calling. And he makes this point that the Old Testament priesthood, they did not appoint themselves. So in other words, a guy didn't just say, hey, I'm decided, like we might do, my career path. I want to become a uh, engineer. I want to become an a pilot, right? This wasn't something, when it came to priesthood, it wasn't something that someone just chose for themselves. Instead, what happened? Well, the Old Testament priesthood, they were chosen from among men. So they weren't, they didn't choose it for themselves, they were chosen. Later on in verse 4, it says, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God. 
just as Aaron was. So the point he's making here, Old Testament priesthood, they were called by God. They were chosen among, from among men by God to serve as a priest. They didn't choose this for themselves. And then when he compares this to Jesus, look in verse 5. It says, Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but he was appointed. And who appointed him? He was appointed by the Father, by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So the point here is basically priests were always God's choice. But in the case of Jesus, it was the father choosing him, choosing his son to act as the great high priest forever. So these, these priests were chosen and then they would live and then they would die and then they had to choose a new priest and then that priest would live and die. But with Jesus, he was the eternal high priest appointed by his father. And I think here's the point when we talk about how he's appointed. We ask, give me a reason why I should run to Jesus in my weakness. Here's one. It's his job. It's his job. He's been appointed to this. Jesus has been appointed the high priest by God the Father. God wants you to see Jesus as your great high priest. And what does the high priest do? He acts on your behalf. He represents you. It was God's eternal plan that Jesus Christ would be appointed by him as your high priest, your representative, your in-between, your, 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 your intercessor, your mediator. And how does this reason help us? Have you ever called a wrong number? If you actually dial, you know, or make calls, right? <laughs> you realize, like, now and today, like, dialing a wrong number is always, used to always be a problem growing up. But now, even now for me, like, everything's not, like, all the numbers I have are in my contact list and speed dial, right? And you just select the name. And I realized, man, if I was, like, trapped somewhere and I had to borrow someone's phone and I was in trouble... I wouldn't know who to, I could call my wife. I know her number. But apart from that, like, I don't know anybody's number. What did I do? What do I do, right? So dialing isn't something we do, but has anyone actually ever called a wrong number before? Brian has. Jocelyn has. All right, a couple. Okay. Really awkward. Okay. Um, And it's even more embarrassing when you jump into the conversation, assuming you're talking to the right person only to realize they have no clue what you're talking about. And you may be thinking, well, I've actually, I've actually done that in real life, like, you know, to someone. Um, have, you, have you ever gone to the wrong person for help? Maybe you assume someone is the, has the answer you're looking for. Maybe you think someone has referred you to somebody and you go to the wrong person accidentally and you just start rattling off a question. Or, 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 or have, has anyone ever done this? You're in a store and you're, you need help. And you accidentally ask someone who looks like an employee but's not. Yes. Has anyone ever done that? Has any of you been mistaken for an employee at a store? Yeah. As a what? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Is what? Oops. Oops. Yeah, so we've all been there. I've been mistaken for someone who, you know, a store employee. It's really awkward when you go into a store and you're wearing, like, the same shirt as them, same color shirt as them and stuff. It's always awkward when you go to the wrong person for help. And, and, and the point I'm making here is when, when it comes to Jesus, right, and you have problems in your life, you know, there's, there should never be a question in my mind, am I going to the right person? 
Am I supposed to come to Jesus with this? Because it's his job. He's been called to do it. He's been appointed to, be, to act on behalf of men in relation to God, it says in verse 1. In other words, in your weakness and your sin, you come to Jesus desperately and confidently. Say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up right now. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate. I'm in sin. He's not going to look at you sideways. He's not going to say, um, it's not my department. Uh, I'm not the guy you're looking for. It's not my job. No, his eternal job description is to act on your behalf. He won't be surprised when you come to him saying, I messed up, I blew it, I failed, I sinned. He won't wonder why you're divulging all your problems. In fact, he expects it. He wants that to happen because he is your high priest. It's his job. God appointed Jesus to act as his high priest because he knew from the beginning of time that people like you and me need someone like this in their lives. The high priests of the Old Testament filled this role incompletely and imperfectly. And now Jesus is our great high priest and he's been called to this. It's his job. If you were appointed to a job where, in which you were supposed to deal with weak, sinful people, you'd actually be shocked if all you got was perfect, righteous people. You'd be like, what's wrong? I, no, I, 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 my job is to help those who need help. Why do people think that they have to be perfect before they come to me? Right? That's not... Jesus' job description. And sometimes we feel like the only super righteous can, can run to Jesus. You have to fix yourself before you run to him desperately. And if that were the case, Jesus, if, if Jesus could be shocked, he can, he's God, if he could be shocked, he'd, he'd look, he'd, he would look at all the sinful, rebellious, broken, angry people who are kind of sulking away in a corner, afraid to come to him too nervous to approach someone like Jesus, you know, thinking that they have some work to do before they run desperately to him, he, he'd be like, what, what's wrong? <laughs> I mean, what does he say in Mark chapter 2, verse 17? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is his job. He wants you to come to him when you've messed up. He wants you to come to him when you're weak and discouraged. It's his job. I mean, imagine a doctor who set up an office, right? He's got his own practice. But for some reason, only perfectly healthy people visit his office. Right? They make appointments. They show up and, all right, what can I do for you today? I'm great. I'm, I'm the perfect bill of health. I have no issues, right? Okay, why... Like, why are you here? Right? Or an ER, an emergency room. And all the people coming to the emergency room are people that have already healed. They're all better. Like, the, 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 the staff would be like, we don't want you here. You're not the reason why we exist. The doctor would think, I didn't take this job to see healthy people. I took this job to see sick people. Are you sick? Spiritually? Are you discouraged? Are you struggling with sin? Then guess what? You are the perfect candidate to see Jesus. Because it's his job to act on behalf of people. 
So why should I run to Jesus desperately and confidently? Because it's his job. And then secondly, because of his heart. This passage also compares the sympathy of the high priests to the sympathy of Jesus. Look in verse 2 of our passage. This is talking about the human high priests. He says, He, the, the, the high priest appointed from among men, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. So we've already seen this heart in Jesus Christ, where it talks about he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Back up in verse 15 of chapter 4, it says that Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. Right. So this, this heart that is applied to the high priest is also applied to Christ. But it also says he's without sin, right? And here's the contrast. The, the, the high priest had a sinful weakness. They had a physical weakness. They were humans, but they also had a sinful weakness. And if you look in the book of Leviticus, when the high priesthood was set up, what did the priests have to do? Before they sacrificed for the people, what did they have to do? Before they ever made a sacrifice for the people, they had to do, what did they have to do, Michael? They had to wash themselves. They had to wash themselves and they had to do something else. It says right here in our passage, look in verse 3. What do they have to do? Jocelyn. For themselves. Okay? So the high priest had to sacrifice for their own sins before they could make any sacrifice for the people. And so here we see the deficiency of the human high priesthood that they, they would sacrifice, but, but, but they were sinners too. But Jesus, with Jesus, is not a sinful weakness. He's without sin. Instead, he had a, it's a suffering weakness. He experienced suffering to the extreme. And we looked at this last week, that he was tempted in every point like as we are. He was tested yet without sin. We talked about how that actually increases the sympathy that he might have for us because we give in, we fall, right? We can't handle much temptation. Jesus is God. He can, he can withstand the fury of temptation. So he's experienced the, the, the blast of temptation more than we have. And he's, but, and, he, and he's experienced so much suffering so that he might sympathize with us. Look down in verses 7 and 8 of our passage. This is, he, he, re- he describes Jesus' suffering in the days of his flesh. Verse 7. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Verse 8 says he was a son, but he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus had a suffering weakness. And because of this, he can deal with you gently and sympathetically. He had gone through more suffering than you can possibly imagine when he was here on this earth. Think about in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? I think this passage talks about when he was offered up supplications to God with loud cries and tears. I think he's talking about that time in the Garden before he was about to be put to death. He goes and prays to his father and, it sw- and cries and sweats like, as if they were great drops of blood. In the garden, although he was without sin, he knew that he was about to become sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So while Jesus never participated in sin, he knew he was about to pay the penalty for it. And he prayed with loud crying and tears. 
Have you ever felt that way to some extent in your own spirit? Where the weight of your life, the weight of what's going on, just is pushing down on you to the point where, where you just, it comes out with loud cries and tears, whether that's externally or, or if you're not a crier, it's all internal. Have you been there? In the Garden of Gethsemane, you know what Jesus said? He told his disciples, he says, I am, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Jesus said, I'm so sad. I feel like I'm going to die. That's how sorrowful his suffering was. And why did he do that? Verse Hebrews 2.18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And the great news is at the same time, he was sinless. Hebrews 7.26-28 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Why? Because he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is far more sympathetic to us than any human high priest ever could be. And yet he's also sinless and he can actually help us because he's sinless. Do you want to know a good reason to come to Jesus? You could say that it's a good reason to come to Jesus because it's his job. But secondly, come to Jesus because he's really good at his job. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward because he himself has been beset with weakness. Why should you come to Jesus? Because you've never met a more gentle, caring, compassionate person in your life. It says he can deal gently. When I see deal gently, this is what kind of comes to my mind. Have you ever seen a parent like with their tearful child, little, little, little child, kind of kneeling down, getting on their level, talking slowly, clearly, and comfortingly, nodding their head with sympathy as their child tries to explain their predicament through that broken, stuttering, tearful phrases. You know, they're like, <laughs> right? And they're trying to get it out, and they can because they're so, they're so tearful, and the, and the parents, there hugging and listening and nodding, and there's compassion and there's care. That's what I think of when it says Jesus can deal gently with us. You run to Jesus because it's his job to listen to people like you. And you run to Jesus because he's really good at his job. He deals gently. And who does he deal gently with? The ignorant and the wayward. Ignorant. Right? That's someone who maybe doesn't even know the extent of their sin. Right? They just, maybe they just don't know better. The wayward, that's someone who's wandering, straying, deceived, going the wrong direction. It's like both ends of the spectrum, whether you're ignorant or you're wayward, whether it's unintentional or intentional straying, Jesus is gentle with both. What's the only condition Christ places on you as his child for you to come to him? Here's the only condition. Come to him. That's it. That's it. 
You can choose to go your own way if you like, to reject Jesus. And in that case, if someone rejects Jesus, there's God's judgment, there's God's holiness that awaits those that go that way. But whether you're ignorant or wayward, the only condition he places on you is to come to him. Come to me, he says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus just simply wants you to come to him because he's really good at his job, because he's gentle and sympathetic and compassionate and caring. And it's his job to be that way. And he can be gentle because he himself has been beset with weakness. He has experienced suffering firsthand. And he has an understanding heart that knows what you're going through and wants to help you with what you're going through. And he, all he asks is, just come to me. You don't have to, you wouldn't try to um, heal yourself before going to the doctor. You go to the doctor so that you can get healed. Don't try to heal yourself before coming to Jesus. Go to Jesus so that you can be healed. So why should I run to Jesus? Well, because it's his job. Run to Jesus because of his calling, because of his heart. Thirdly, because of his accomplishment, what he's done. It says that in our passage that the high priests offered gifts and sacrifices. Notice the plural there. Gifts, plural. Sacrifices, plural. They had to offer these sacrifices repeatedly. But then look down in verse 9. Because Jesus has been, he suffered and he's been made perfect through suffering. Verse 9 says, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. And the author is going to expound the idea of Jesus being the perfect sacrifice in a couple chapters from now. And I don't want to steal his thunder from that. So we'll dig into that idea later. But suffice it to say now that Jesus has become the once-for-all source of eternal salvation. No more sacrifices need to be made. No more penalty has to be paid for your sin. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to pay for your sin anymore. You don't have to repeatedly go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need another sacrifice. I've sinned again. I need my sins atoned again. Because Jesus became the once for all source of eternal salvation and he offered himself once. Your sins have been paid for. He has cleared the way. If there were any barrier between you and Jesus and your ability to come to him, he has removed every single one. When he died on the cross, he tore the veil from top to bottom so that you can go directly to him, to the throne of grace in times of need. Jesus is the sacrifice for your sins. He is the source of eternal salvation. He has accomplished his work. Jesus became the source of eternal salvation, as we saw. So give me one good reason why I should run to Jesus. He's good at his job. Or it's his job, first of all. He's good at his job. And thirdly, he's, he's opened the door. You know, I've seen those uh, doctor's offices. And it says, you know, walk-ins welcome. 
right? You don't have to make an appointment. You don't have to call ahead. Walk-ins, welcome. Um, Jesus, Jesus welcomes you to come to him anytime. Um, there's no checklist of things you need to do. No paperwork you need to fill out before you run to Jesus. He's already paid for that. He's already taken care of that. He's already opened the door. He's paid for your sins. So when you come to him, you're not coming to him to say, Jesus, I need my sins atoned for again. Because Jesus would simply say, no, that's already taken care of. I've already done that. But I can give you grace to help in time of need. I can, I, I can, I can, I can strengthen you again. I can give you hope in my promises, and I can, I can remind you of what I've done, and I can give you grace through my word. I can do that, but don't ask me to atone for your sins. I've already done that. I've already taken care of. And so, so many times we're so weighed down with guilt, and we hear that Christ has already atoned for our sacrifices, and we think, well, i got to do something. So I'm going to atone for my own sac. I'm going to atone for my own sins. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to punish myself. I'm going to do things to myself so that I can feel better about the fact that I'm guilty and I have sin and I need this atoned for. I'm going to punish myself for it. And Jesus stands there as our great high priest who shed all of his blood for you, died on the cross for you. So you don't have to do that. So you don't have to try to take that punishment on yourself. You can, you can place your sins on Christ on the cross and get forgiveness of sins. He's opened the door. And now, because of his work as a perfect high priest, he stands as our, as our source of comfort. As a doctor helping sick people, Jesus is here to help you. Run to him because it's his job. He's good at the job. And he's opened the door for you. So don't be hesitant. Don't be shy. Don't, you know, don't have a fear of, of doctors, so to speak. Go to Christ and get the help you need. That's what it says at the end of chapter 4. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest, let us draw boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Jesus is the high priest who cares. And we're going to look into in, in, the, in, the, in the chapters to come. In, in chapter, chapter 6, he's going to give us some more warnings, like we saw earlier in chapter 2 and 3. He's going to give us some more warnings, saying you've got you to pay attention to this. And then he's going to dig into chapter 7, he's going to dig into this high priest idea some more. Um, you might have mentioned, you might have saw that part where it says he's made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And you might have read that like, Melchizedek who? Like, what, why does he mention this Melchizedek character, and what in the world does that mean? Chapter 7, he's going to really dig into that and show you. It's actually super cool, um, the connection between this guy named Melchizedek and Jesus as our great high priest. So we'll look at that in chapter 7. Uh, warnings again in chapter 6. But for today, don't forget the truth. Run to Jesus, because that's exactly what he wants you to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have done everything for us. Lord, our faith, our Christian faith, is not one that teaches that we must accomplish things in order to earn our way to you. Our faith says you have accomplished everything, and in fact, you came to us. You became man so that we could be brought to you. 
And you simply call us to have faith in you, to believe in you, to embrace you as our Savior. Lord, just as there's warning passages in the book of Hebrews encouraging us, don't, don't assume that we, that we just already have this faith. Lord, if there's anyone here who actually has not embraced you, as we've heard this read earlier, that they're just along for the ride, but they haven't, given it, they haven't bought into the message. Is anyone here who's realized that maybe they don't believe in you? They have not placed their faith in you and you alone? And I pray that the truths we heard today might stick in their hearts and they realize everything that you've done for them. They might say, I want, I want Jesus as my high priest. I don't have that and I need that. Or I pray for anyone who's just struggling right now, um, whether it's discouragement, whether it's guilt, whether it's a hidden sin, whether, whatever it may be, Lord. Um, we're, we're constantly aware of our own weakness, our own deficiencies and shortcomings and, and uh, failures. Lord, for those that find themselves there this morning, I pray that today they would see Jesus as that great high priest who's just standing there waiting, open arms, saying, just come to me. I'm the great physician. I'm the high priest. It's my job to hear problems like yours so that I can give grace to people like you. God, we just thank you that you're that type of God, that Jesus is that type of Savior, that didn't just rescue us from hell. His work didn't end there, that he continues his work even today as our high priest so that we can have access to the throne of grace whenever we need it. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible gospel and an incredible Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.